Hello, and welcome to another episode of Chilling with Charlie. I'm here with Demis, who has just finished his Master's of Sports Analytics at La Trobe University, where he did some pretty interesting research using tennis Hawkeye data. Currently, he tutors undergraduate sports scientists at La Trobe and works part-time for Box Hill and the Hawthorne Hawks. Running a podcast costs money. Chilling with Charlie is proudly sponsored by Betfair Australia. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. They are not a bookmaker and you can see how they champion data modelling by checking out bit.ly forward slash Betfair Charlie. Gamble responsibly. Thank you for joining me today, Dennis. Hey, thanks for having me. So I guess to begin with, why don't you just tell us a bit about what got you into sports and then what got you into, I guess, the Masters of Sports Analytics? Yeah, no worries. I studied sport management initially after I finished high school. After I graduated that, I worked in the field for about eight months before I realized that type of work really wasn't for me. I was completing mainly administrative duties at a tennis center in Melbourne. Just finding new ways to gain customers through the door was the main objective of that role. So after I realized that wasn't for me, I had a vision to obviously seek something different. So I decided to head back to university to kind of increase my pool of knowledge. I've always been very interested in sports growing up, so AFL, NBA, NFL, and soccer across Europe. But I think it was my sister was the first person to introduce me to the concept of analytics and the growing role of it playing in sport at the moment. So my sister, she's heavily invested with data, and she was studying a double degree in information technology. So she was always looking into how different industries utilize their data. So I do remember like watching Moneyball, uh, as many have, and raving about how good it was from not just the acting standpoint of, say, Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill, but the concept of sport analytics itself. So my sister, she had covered this topic, obviously, many years ago with her knowledge um, before the movie had come out, and she actually gave me the book to read afterwards. And after I read it, I just asked myself, how do I get into this? So at the time, uh, La Trobe University, they were starting their Master of Sport Analytics course. I attended the information night and spoke to a few people regarding whether I'd be accepted or not based upon my uh, previous history. And yeah, I, did, I applied and I was lucky enough to be one of, I think, six to actually uh, graduate with our thesis at the end of last year. And currently, I'm working at uh, Box Hill in the VFL as a football analyst, as you said. So in this role, I catered to the needs of the coaches with um, statistics and video, as well as developing new means to collect data. On top of that, I also work one day a week with Hawthorne. So I take part in some data science projects they have. And as well as that, I'm learning the ropes of what a professional sporting organization does within its uh, performance analysis department. So why don't you just tell us a bit about the master's program, what kind of things you learned, and tell us a bit about your thesis. Yeah, sure. The master's program, it was actually my first introduction to programming and data science methods. So it was definitely a steep learning curve coming from a business background, but yeah, I I loved every moment of it. So the subjects that we learned at university, half of them were programming-based and the other half were sport-based, the inclusion of programming. So the languages that we did learn included, that was the major one, Java, SPSS, SQL, and this smaller program called Weka. So those are the programming languages and the sport subjects. So there's introduction to sport analytics, covers how sport analytics fits into different domains. Uh, There was another subject called sport analytics in practice, where we actually developed a predictive model of the AFL final series. So kind of uh, what you see on Twitter now with um, Squiggle, we did our best to create one of those ourselves using data that's publicly available. And another subject there uh, was data capture. So we learned about the tools to collect data 
in professional sporting organizations such as GPS using catapult devices and IMU, which are three-part gyroscope, accelerometer, and magnetometer. So those are the two major tools that we learned in that subject. And then on the thesis, as he said, I worked with Hawkeye Data and my topic at the time was looking to identify first serves in male professional tennis that provide server optimal advantage. It was a very broad topic that I definitely had to narrow down in the end run. I chose the topic of serves in tennis due to to it being the only stroke in a match that allows a player to have complete control of the placement and type of stroke to be played. So it gives kind of the end product ability to actually give recommendations upon it being the first stroke of the point. And there had been previous literature already published on serves in tennis though that raised some good findings and recommendations. So it was a good path for me to, to follow there. After months of scaling back that project to its bare minimum, I used clustering methods to quantify the different types of serves that you see in tennis to the juice court and ad court. I think I found about 11 types of serve to the juice court and 12 to the ad court. And then I performed a logistic regression on these serves to see which were the most effective particular point of the service. What sort of clustering techniques did you use and what was the idea behind using that to identify kinds of serves? I used a model-based clustering method. I actually gained some motivation by reading one of Stephanie Kovalchik's research papers where she used the same method to do quite a similar type of research. It's a more robust method than your typical K-means or K-near-neighbor clustering approach because it allows for multidimensional variables to be used. So I found that worked best compared to the others. And then to perform the logistic regression, you would input those serve clusters that you found and you would identify a probability of winning that point. So what were some interesting things you found that might surprise a tennis fan at home? So I I probably found some information that didn't surprise the tennis fan at home. Obviously, I found that serving locations were ideal to the outside corners of the service box. Yeah, so there was nothing really out of the ordinary. At the same time, the type of research completed it was much different to what's been uh, completed at the moment. I did use a few case studies where I would look at various game points in a service. So at Love Love, I think it was 30 Love and Love 40. Uh, those were the three game states I looked at and had a, tried to see which type of our serve actually was effective in those given game states. The findings itself, um, they were limited due to the insufficient data I had. I had three seasons of Australian Open Hawkeye data to use. I narrowed it down to just male athletes, and then I had to narrow it down to just right-handed male athletes. It just got out of hand at the end, especially with the the final results. You could see with the probabilities that, yes, uh, a particular serve gave you a probability of winning the point at 80% of the time. However, the confidence interval for that was highly skewed in that it could be within 60% to 90% at the time. So those are some of the things that I found from it. And definitely having more data available could have counteracted that. Now you're teaching undergraduate. So what units do you teach and how have you found that experience? Yeah, so it's an introduction to data science uh, subject to sports scientists that are completing their undergrad at La Trobe University. It's been crazy, actually. So that's my first real attempt at teaching. And the first real lesson that I've learned is that it takes a lot of patience to deliver information. Obviously, these students, they haven't taken any sports science subjects before this. So introducing, say, T-tests or ANOVA 
or linear mixed models to them is quite daunting, I could imagine, to them. Definitely been an interesting um, concept. I've definitely enjoyed it. This is the last week coming up of semester. So, um, yeah, I'm not too sure whether I'll continue after this, but it's definitely been fun. How has the first year courses changed over time? So, I, I'd imagine doing data science for a first year student in sports is fairly new. Yeah, well, this is the first year that they've introduced this data science subject to the sports science course. The reason behind that is, you know, they need these skills in the future when they do graduate and they do start working in professional sporting organisations. There's almost guaranteed to be an opportunity to collect data through testing if they do work in those fields. So having the skills to collect the data and know how to format is one thing, but then having the ability to analyse it and come to some conclusions about the data is another. So I think that's what the main goal of the subject is, really equipping these students with the tools they need for the future. Tell us about your role at Box Hill and at the Hawks. So how did that come about firstly? So that was earlier this year, in January. I've just come back from a holiday and I was just about to get stuck into the the job hunt myself. I got a message over LinkedIn asking if I would like to um, come in for a, a coffee. This was for the Box Hill analyst role. The general manager... I met with him and the operations manager there, and we just spoke about um, the opportunity itself to work within the VFL program. We spoke about my um, past experience with Coburg, where I was also an analyst there. After a few more coffees, that role just yeah began there from there. So what does your role entail? So at Box Hill, I'm there one day a week and as well as match day. During the week, I assist with uh, stats, databasing video, preparing match reviews, as well as preparing a match opposition analysis there as well. And on match day, I'm with the coaching staff within the box, assisting them with technology needs, the use of sports code, the use of champion data, software, CIS stats that provided to us, and also assisting analysts, interns that work under me to, say, film behind the goals So what kind of information are you looking at during games? We get a live feed of stats that Champion Data calls. It's up to a five-second delay we get updated stats. It's pretty in-depth in terms of VFL standard, but definitely not up to the standard of, say, AFL that I've seen. So saying that, there's been needs to collect data of our own. I've created a sports code window for my analysts to collect data during the match, and we print those off and we hand those to the coaches at say quarter time to give them a brief update of how we're tracking as a team through our KPIs. Other than that, there's been a need to collect data outside of the match day process. So I've developed applications there that allows you to manually collect spatio-temporal data for the topic in question. An example of this is mapping inside 50 locations from the start point to end point. You manually annotate where the start point was and the end point and the outcome. And after you complete this for a match, which takes about 15 minutes, you obtain a heat map of a quarter breakdown. And this is easily interpreted for the coaches. So it's just a a nice tool that allows for quick analysis of, say, patterns in play. Do they not do that at AFL level or is that something you do for both teams? So this was available at the AFL level I saw. So when I saw that, I thought, oh, well, definitely something can be um, created so we can actually collect this data for the VFL level. And how receptive have Box Hill been to, I guess, all these different kind of skills that you can bring to the team? Yeah, it's been interesting. So initially when I had a meeting with Max Bailey, the coach, he was always open to me trying new things. I came to the interview with him with a list of ideas and he said, look, if, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Just 
why don't you just keep trying? That's the kind of the message that I've uh, been receiving up until now. Uh, we, we have developed some things that do work for us and some things that don't. And that's what's freeing up time to easily create new methods of capturing data and understanding different uh, methods of data collection. So what would you like to do with, say, this forward entry data once you've built up some nice sample sizes? Yeah, so we do this for the opposition analysis coming up to understand what our opposition does with the ball once they go inside 50, whether they look to go deeper or shallow, and then we um, adapt our game to that. But at the same time, we've also been collecting our data. How do we like to go inside 50? Recently had a, a buy, so that was the opportunity to have a quick review of the first four games of the season. So I quickly databased those data sets that we've collected, and we can actually see some trends where in, say, quarter one, we do like to go deep. But in, say, quarter three, we, the more shallow entries, are, kind of those trends are falling. Why do you think that is? Do you think your team's just getting tired? I couldn't tell you exactly why. You'll probably have to speak to the high-performance staff in terms of that. It's just some trends that you can identify. And it could be that it was a different strategy by the coaches. could be that it was complete miscommunication by the players. Those are the kind of answers that we're looking to actually come across and check off. And how is your role at Box Hill different to the work you've been doing for Hawthorne? Yeah, so at Hawthorne, I'm also working there one day a week, assisting them using champion data. They provide them with play-by-play data that has the XY coordinates of the ball for all instances of the match. So the Analytics team been very friendly to me and they've given me the opportunity to have free room at this data and try and utilize it. An example of one of the more out-there projects that I'm working on is trying to distinguish team style using this play-by-play data. So at the moment, I've just subsetted the center bounce kind of chains, and we've got that ball movement data there. And we're looking to see if there's any particular chains of ball movement that work better for some teams than compared to other teams. So doing this, I'm using a method called dynamic time warping, uh, which is used to measure a similarity of two time sequences based on their shape over time. This study was actually completed in soccer, They did dynamic time warping and then clustered those distances to actually obtain quite similar patterns of play with the ball. Trying to bring that into the AFL is quite difficult. It's one of the more out there projects I'm working on at the moment. Another project I'm also working on is kind of valuing inside 50s, looking at it in terms of, say, expected goals or expected assists that you see in, say, soccer or hockey. So I'm looking to see if you can put a value on an inside 50 entry that has many different outcomes AFL fans would know. So opportunity to score, a turnover, a stoppage. So this one's definitely in the early work, still looking at, i say, the literature out there that's kind of done some work on this, but currently looking at a random forest model that will give me a probability score based on the type of inside 50 entry it was. So I guess for people at home who might not have seen the champion data play-by-play, are you able to give an example of maybe what a row would look like of the data? Yeah, definitely. So in any given row... You would have your match ID, home team, away team, score at that particular point, the seconds, the player who has the ball, the team of that player, the location in XY coordinates, and who was involved kind of in that passage there. So you would have a pressure player who would be given a pressure point factor that champion data have de- uh, developed themselves. And other uh, parameters such as whether they kick the ball, whether that kick was based on their left or right foot, whether that was under pressure itself, the disposal. So all those kind of obtained within one row. And you can further look into this data. A lot of the stuff I've been doing has been actually manipulating this data to actually obtain the distance that the ball travelled between a row, the angle from the point of the ball to the goal, 
yeah, a lot of data can be pulled from this if you be creative and understand the functions and the equations behind it. Tell us a bit more about your line of thinking for the time warping and then the expected goals. So from a student point of view, how did you come up with the question and then thinking about how you're going to go analyze the data? As in the dynamic time warping? Yeah. I looked into center bounce ball movement and I thought there must be some sort of pattern of play that distinguishes one team from another. So that was the initial mind frame that there must be some sort of evidence behind this. So the next idea was to, to actually look in the field, what's being done at the moment. And I did identify many different things. There was definitely different um, methods to actually approach this, say, research question. I found dynamic time warping through a pretty interesting journal article on Google Scholar. And seeing that brought the motivation forward to actually try and adapt it to the AFL. Whether anything comes of it, I'm not too sure. And at the same time, it doesn't hurt to look at it. So I think that's the mind frame that I was in when I uh, had a look at this method of dynamic time warping there. Tell us a bit about how Hawthorne and Box Hill are similar but also different. So obviously they have the same players. A lot of their team strategy is always going to be the same. So that's probably the difference between when I was working at Coburg. It was always trying to develop how we're going to play this week based upon our opponent's strengths and weaknesses. Whereas probably at Box Hill, we're looking at, all right, we need to utilize these players so they play the same brand of footy that Hawthorne utilize. So that's the message we actually utilize on match day. The similarities, all coaches there, they're always in constant communication with the senior coaches, the AFL level, and as well as the analysts. Everyone works intertwined together. It's a great team environment at Box Hill and Hawthorne. What are you looking to do for yourself after the AFL season, looking for a more full-time role? Yeah, definitely a full-time role. Obviously, teaching has been great, but I don't think that's going to be in my long-term view. Obviously, something in professional sport, not too sure there will be AFL. I think the skills I've developed have been highly adaptable to different sports. A creative role would be best, I think, for um, the type of person I am, especially the projects that I've completed at the moment with tennis and at university as well, I definitely think that looking at data in a new perspective and having the opportunity to create is definitely something that I want to do moving forward. I'm not too sure many uh, organizations at the moment have the salary space for that. They're more of a do this role because we need it done kind of a situation, but hopefully something uh, like that does develop in the Australian sport landscape soon. So what should the going rate be for a master's student from La Trobe? I would say anywhere over six figures, to be to be frank. No, honestly, I, I don't know. It might be a rude awakening when that opportunity finally arises. A few of my other graduates do actually work in the field at the moment, but I haven't actually questioned them about the, the salary itself. It's interesting. I think in Australia, it's definitely a growing field, but internationally, in America or in Europe, it's definitely a more developed uh, industry, the sport analytics field. So I think there's definitely more money to be made if you do seek to travel. But saying that, I think that you do need a lot a lot of experience behind you to want to go from, say, Australia to America. You probably need some postgraduate study or that experience at least a couple of years in an Australian organisation if you don't have, say, the opportunity to actually stay somewhere in a nice living uh, space in America or Europe. Tell us about the R course that you've developed with David Carey and delivered to the AIS yeah, sure. So um, Dave Carey, who also featured on this podcast, he approached me after my uh, studies and asked me if I would like to be a part of developing the content for this R programming course that we were going to deliver to sports scientists across Australia, which would be delivered at the AIS in Canberra. 
Yeah, I took that on board. It's very difficult to create content that you know very well. So after picking up R for two years and finishing my studies, I, I would like to think that I know R very well, but I know in retrospect that there's definitely so much more I can learn. So when I was helping create the content, I found it very difficult to actually dumb it down and make it so simple that someone that had never picked up any programming would understand. So that was definitely a limitation to um, that. But you develop that over time, especially with teaching. The course itself, the people involved were sports scientists across Australia from state governing bodies such as NSWIS, the VIS and WAIS. And the major aspect of their roles was that they're sports scientists, but they only use, say, Microsoft Excel to actually complete all their duties. While Microsoft Excel is a, a strong platform to complete those type of work, there's definitely easier and more stronger uh, methods such as, say, R. So that was the, the main point of creating this course. I delivered that in February of this year, and the feedback we actually received from them was great. And I feel that a lot of them took home, say, new skills that they can be applied to their daily jobs now. Were you surprised by the lack of coding skills for people working with sports data in their regular day jobs? I was and I wasn't. So back my sister, she uh, loves data, but she'd only use Microsoft Excel as, as well. But yeah, I was uh, very surprised to, to actually see that none of them had any experience in actual programming itself. They definitely went home with something, I would say. So what do you think that is? There's a lot of resources available. They might see some people doing some work that they feel they could use in their day jobs using R or Python or something. Why do you think there's that barrier to entry? Maybe it's the comfort of knowing this one skill and actually having it work. Maybe that was an aspect to it. Maybe there was no time to actually learn this new skill because learning R or Python or any programming language does take a lot of time. I would say you would need to develop that in your own time if you were working full-time at, say, an organization such as NSWIS or VIS. But yeah, those, those are the, probably the, the barriers for entry to R programming. I think the opportunity through the AIS and Latrobe University to actually deliver this course and create new skill sets for these sports scientists is uh, definitely the way of the future. And if they don't honestly learn these skills, they'll probably be replaced by people that do have these skills. How long was the course and what did they go away knowing how to do? Yeah, so the course was, it was a three-day intensive spanning from, I think, Tuesday to Thursday. And there were big days. Initially, it was like nine till five, nine till six, nine till six. And the, the skills that we really tried to delve into were data importing and data manipulation using the dplyr uh, package in R, data visualization with ggplot. How do we visualize our data as well as how do we visualize different types of data? So we have our descriptives, our continuous variables, but also our spatiotemporal data. Sometimes we have data on a three-dimension plane. So we need to learn how to um, visualize that and actually gain information from that. We also introduced simple methods of clustering and regression just so they had understanding that you can actually do this through R. And we also introduced shiny dashboards to them. The dashboards uh, system itself, we got them to bring in a data set that they would use in their role at their current workplace. And we got them to actually recreate a certain aspect of that. So a report or a dashboard using shiny. The outcome of that was actually amazing that they could develop something of such strength within only a couple of days of knowledge of programming. And I guess aside from sport, what else do you like to get up to? I like data, uh, looking at data from different industries and looking at different ways to actually do projects. I'm looking at starting 
a blog or a platform to share some of my work that I'm doing outside of the workplace. So I think it's a definite need to create a name for yourself and show people that what you're capable of. So a platform to share your insights or your code is probably the most effective way to do this. A presence on Twitter or starting a GitHub blog, not too sure, but that's definitely um, something that I do want to look into doing. At the moment, I'm working with a buddy of mine who earns a music event organization. His customers, Spotify data. So at the moment, I'm utilizing that Spotify data and their listening habits to actually cluster different types of customers. So when they do, say, tour a specific artist that comes internationally, they know who to actually uh, put the, I would say, marketing money into. And for people wondering if they should enroll in the master's or the undergrad of sports analytics, sports science, what are some tips you can give them? Definitely go in there with an open mind frame. I I went in there motivated thinking that this is going to be the best thing that happened to me. And to be honest, it probably probably was. It it opened up so many avenues in in sport and obviously with teaching and, and different skills that I've developed in programming and understanding of sport and actually communicating the findings to actually a a finer audience. If people are looking to enroll into, say, the Master of Sport Analytics, I would give them nothing but um, positive insights there. If you were to direct someone online to read some interesting sports work, where would you direct them? Probably 538. That's probably the biggest sport data journalism website there is at the moment. It's based on American sports from an analytics perspective, but sometimes they do delve into, say, what's happening in Europe with soccer, or different sports there. So that's definitely one that does gain a lot of attraction. But from a AFL viewpoint, there are some great blogs happening across Australia. So The Arc, that's one that I looked heavily into before I started um, the analytics program. And it really just showcased the excellent work that people do with uh, limited data resources in such a prolific sport and such as AFL. Another resource that I would probably recommend to people is if they do look into um, programming, is probably R Bloggers. It's a great resource to gain some tips on programming in R. All the content on there, it's updated pretty much every day with new blogs from different pools and it's adaptable to different industries. So all you really need to do is um, go in there with a creative mindset and you can use those skills in different ways. Thank you very much for joining me today. I hope you had a good chat. And I hope the listeners really enjoy this too. Yeah, thanks very much for having me, Rob. 